made alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is from Mark chapter 5, reading from verse 21. A dead girl and a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him whilst he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. 
He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thanks be to God. So from that reading from Mark 5 and verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for the words you give to us in the scriptures, but we lack the understanding. We pray for your Holy Spirit now to come and breathe into these words and bring them to life for us, so that we might live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now today, as uh, some of you will know, it will be the last time I shall be taking a service here on a Sunday morning here at St. Peter's. And um, it's a strange kind of feeling, really, after nine years and all the words that uh, I've spoken in those nine years, what do I say now? What will be my last words. John Wesley, of course, had uh, his, famously, his last words were, uh, best of all, God is with us. I think those are good last words. It would be great if I could have some last words quite like that. But unfortunately for me, as I thought about this and um, thought about my last words, all that came to me were two songs that I'd recently heard at funerals. That may not be quite as strange uh, as it sounds, really, because uh, the songs that uh, we tend to have at funerals are about endings and farewells and, uh, and what have you. And the first song that came to my mind, it just shows you how my mind works, really, the first song that came to my mind that I'd heard recently at a funeral uh, was, Wish Me Luck As You Wave Me Goodbye. Now, I hope I don't offend anyone here when I say that, in my opinion, that's not the greatest hymn or song to have at a funeral. Partly because, as Christians, we don't believe in luck, for a start. It's not a question of luck when your person, person goes to the next world. But also because, um, if you know that song at all, uh, you know it's a rather upbeat, jolly kind of song, uh, which 
to me seems to kind of at times minimize and uh, gloss over uh, the pain, the real pain of parting and of separation. Of course, the song, of course, was a, a, a song of its time uh, and uh, it's uh, you know, kind of that plucky British stiff upper lip uh, kind of attitude may well have been very appropriate when it was written in those war years when um, you were literally waving goodbye to a loved one and you weren't sure whether you would ever see them again. And in which case, I suppose the upbeat nature of that, uh, of that hymn, or that song, I keep calling it hymn, it's not a hymn, it's a song. Um, the upbeat nature of it, I guess, was a kind of self-preservation. So that you didn't, you protected yourself from the hurt and the pain. Now I want to say, I'm glad, I think, that we've moved on uh, from there as a nation. I think the turning point came with the death of Princess Diana and that outpouring of that raw, really raw emotion kind of changed something in the psyche of our, of our culture and that uh, it, it began to seem to be actually okay to show raw emotion. And we see that actually now. We see it all over, and we see it in the wayside shrines that we see to people who have died on the roadside, and showing that raw emotion. And I, I think emotion is not something to be afraid of. Being emotional is real. And I'd like, it's partly to say, I wouldn't mind a little bit more emotion in our churches sometimes and in our worship. Something that we shouldn't be afraid of. Both joy and also sadness, pain, as we express those things, as we are real before God. What's the other thing that does um, come to mind about that song relating to my departure is that uh, happily waving someone goodbye may not be a question of hiding the pain, but it may be a question of genuine joy. When you are really pleased to be waving someone goodbye. I noticed that the Anthem was rejoice in the Lord always. Hope that doesn't necessarily relate to my departure. Now for me, I want to say that certainly isn't the case. There is pain in parting. And I shall certainly be sorry to, to go and I will miss you very much. The other song, though, that comes uh, to mind, that came to mind as I was thinking about this, is a song that a few years ago was almost obligatory to have at funerals. And it was, um, of course, Frank Sinatra's My Way. And uh, in that text of that song, we may well actually be able to identify a few appropriate sentiments for today. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, 
too few to mention. And uh, also, uh, my friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I'll try to do that through my time here. But again, if you know anything about that song, you will know that it's about a person that, who uh, the end is near and they are facing the final curtain, whatever quite that means, but they are facing the final curtain and they reflect upon their life and all the things they have done. And the song builds and builds to a great crescendo in the end where the person makes this bold and defiant claim that despite it all, I did it my way. Which as well as being, I think, a very appropriate modern anthem for today, is also, I think, one of its biggest modern heresies. That far from being celebrated as a wonderful achievement, it is in fact at the heart of many of the problems that exist in our world today. I did it my way. As Christians, we want to say there is an alternative to that. As Christians, we want to say, actually, the purpose of our life is not to do it my way, but to do it his way. Although, sadly, even in church, it's been my experience that I think sometimes we get those things mixed up. And that sometimes what we claim to be his way is, in fact, my way. Paul reminds us in that first reading we had from Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For we are God's handiwork, God made us, and we are here for a purpose. We are created to do the good works of God. That's why we're here. And if there was one of the things that I would want to say as a parting word, it would be just that, to stress the importance of remembering why we are here. That we are here for Jesus, not for ourselves. We're here for him. And that therefore we exist, the church exists, to bring the good news of Jesus to a needy world. Not to keep it to ourselves. To those who are suffering in this world, to those who feel weighed down with its Burdens, those who feel powerless to change their circumstances, those who are struggling under the weight of illness or evil or oppression. We want to say, as Christians, there is good news for, her, for, for you. We have good news to share with you. We want you to hear good news. There is a deliverer. There is a rescuer. There is a saviour. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. At the end of John's Gospel, another last words, but at the end of John's Gospel, John says, These things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and in believing you might have eternal life in his name. Those are good last words, I think, to have. 
If there's something that's kept me going throughout my ministry, something I've struggled to keep hold of, it is this, that we might have life, new life, in the name of Jesus Christ. And what has been the greatest privilege for me during my ministry has been witnessing that new life take root in the hearts of people and transform them and change them like nothing else can. That's the greatest privilege I have had. Not the church council meetings, not the circuit meetings and all the other things, but seeing new life blossom and grow through faith in Jesus Christ. And in today's gospel reading from Mark, the set actually for today, it really sums up, in essence, all that I have been trying to say throughout my ministry. This universal message of good news in Jesus Christ for the whole world. It's illustrated in this reading by these two main characters in the Bible passage. There is Jairus, and we're told that he's one of the synagogue leaders, and that he would have been well known within his community and well respected within his, his community. A, a man of status, stature. And then there is this poor woman for whom for 12 years she has had this debilitating illness and not only physically debilitating but financially too. Mark tells us that she'd spent all of her money on doctors trying to find a cure but finding none. And now she's broke, she's poor, she has nothing. And on top of all that, because of her condition, her medical condition under Jewish law, she was treated as being unclean and shunned as an outcast within her own community. In many ways, these two people could not be more different. They could not be further apart. One is honoured and respected, the other is an outcast. One is rich, the other is poor. They inhabited totally different worlds. They were at either end of the social spectrum. Yet they are united in one thing. They are all both desperate. Sadly, sometimes it's only when a major crisis, such as something that they were experiencing, hits us. When it's a question of the life of a child or a debilitating illness. It's only then that we sometimes get a proper perspective of the things that really matter in life. You know, one of the sad things that I see in the society out there is that people settle for such limited things. They have such limited ambition in their lives. Their aims and, and horizons are so small that they're driven by such superficial things as 
getting a bigger house or a better job or a newer car or whatever it might be, climbing the social scale. Such small things. They settle for that. They live for that. Sadly, sometimes it takes a major crisis to bring us to our senses and kind of think, what is this life all about? What are we here for? Is it so I can get on in my job? Is it so I can have more money? Is it so I can have a, a nice house and all that? Is that it? If that's it, I don't want it. There's so much more that God wants for us in this life. Sadly, sometimes it takes a crisis for us to reevaluate what really matters. And so we have these two people really at either end of the social scale to show us really of God's love in Jesus is universal. Either end and everyone in the middle. Even though they came from totally different places, they are united in their need. And in their own way, they are both prepared to reevaluate what is really important. And in that new perspective, recognize the truth about Jesus. And in doing that, they are both in their own way prepared to give up my way and seek his way. Jairus, a religious man, respected, well-known in the community, no doubt proud of his status, but he was prepared to come and kneel at the feet of this travelling preacher and humble himself at the feet of Jesus. And this woman who had spent all of her money searching for an answer, she was no doubt embarrassed about her condition, she was a social outcast, but she was prepared to risk everything, to risk being recognized and ridiculed by entering into the crowd. Both reached out for Jesus in their own way, and in reaching out to him, they let go of all the other things that they had been holding on to, their fear, their pride. Now for the woman, her cure was immediate. But Jesus wasn't simply interested in her physical cure. And there's a lovely moment in that story, as we heard, where Jesus says, who touched me? And in the account, we hear how the disciples look in disbelief at Jesus and say, look, you're in the middle of a crowd and you're asking who touched me. Everyone's touching you. But Jesus says, no. I felt someone touch me. And you know, the lovely thing about that is that what this tells us is that for Jesus, there's no such thing as a crowd. For Jesus, everyone is unique. Everyone is special. Everyone has a name. And eventually, though, this woman identifies herself. And again, note this. Jesus then calls her daughter. No longer physically healed, but now no longer an outcast. 
a daughter, a child of God, a new beginning, a new family. That's what the good news is about. A new beginning, a new family. Now one can only imagine, though, what Jairus must have been going through as he witnessed all this going on. The delay in Jesus coming to see his daughter must have been agonising for him. In fact, as we hear, the, good, the news comes that it's too late and his daughter is dead. And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, just believe. He that can command the wind and the waves, he can that drive out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead, there is nothing that he cannot do for you. Nothing he cannot do for you. From the highest to the lowest, from the richest to the poorest, there is nothing and no one that is beyond his ability to reach his compassion and his power to save. Now you may need to reevaluate your life to recognize it, and you will certainly need to let go of your pride to receive it. And like the poor woman, sometimes the results are immediate, and sometimes, like Jairus, we may have to be patient and wait a while. Perhaps even to the point as Jairus got to where it seems all hope is gone. But with Jesus, it never is. It never is. There is never a point where you can say all hope is gone. No matter what your situation or circumstances are, it never is gone. So in the end, I think I have at last my final words. You might be glad to hear it. Not wish me luck as you wave me goodbye. Not I did it my way. But in the words of Jesus, don't be afraid, just believe. Thanks be to God. Amen.